This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Fifteen years ago, two women who cared about food, Tracy Ryder and Carol Topalian, published a 16-page, one-color newsletter to help connect the farmers in their area to the food lovers in their area. This was the birth of Edible Ojai in Ojai, California, and the birth of what is now known as the Edible Community's Publications, the rich look and face of local food across North America. Edible Communities, a James Beard Foundation award-winning family of now 100 locally owned and licensed magazines devoted to the local food movement, is marking its 15th anniversary this spring. Since the launch of Edible Ojai in 2002, Edible's communities' publications have become an influential voice in the food world by keeping focused and passionate about local food, how it's grown and harvested, what defines regional flavors and trends, and how to prepare and present food in a way that is rooted in local culture. Today, I am pleased to be joined via Skype by Nancy Painter, Executive Director of the Edible Communities Media, from her offices in Maplewood, New Jersey. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so glad to be here today, and uh, it's an honor to talk with you and to represent all of our edible publications. This edible communities concept kicked off 15 years ago, as we just heard, with Edible Ojai. 15 years ago is quite a long time in the history of the local food movement. Set the scene for us, Nancy, about why this was such an innovative and meaningful event in our food culture at that time. I, th- I think that when we look back at 2002, what's, what's interesting is that we had only been, we were only a few years past the things like the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act, you know, where food, the ingredients and the calorie counts and everything had to be labeled. I mean, um, in 2002, it's it's almost um, ironic or hard to imagine now, but in 2002, we had we had lost touch with our food over the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, people were not so aware of what the ingredients were or where the food was coming from. And and the just, um, you know, amazing proliferation of packaged food. And so what I think was very interesting was in 2002 in this, you know, beautiful Shangri-La area of Ojai, California, these two women decided to take a look and focus on local food. Not only the food itself, but obviously the, the growers and the producers, the farmers. And it was a pretty unique concept at that time. Um, most food magazines and public publications were not looking at food from that perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With that in mind, this very different perspective of looking at food, Nancy, what 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 do you think was the mission of what was their mission at the time and how did that then evolve into the mission of the edible communities movement i think with with what carolyn tracy did was to tell the story behind our food um at the time you know you had had restaurant reviews and and magazines where 
you know, they were covering food, recipe-driven publications, restaurant reviews, three or four stars, this is where you should go. But Carol and Tracy took a much more personal approach with Edible Ojai. They wanted you to, you know, understand, meet, and know the people behind our food. Um, so I think that was a lot, that was a big part of the of the innovation or the idea they, that by knowing the people who feed us, we'll have a, a greater respect for them. We'll support them, we'll advocate for them, um, we'll help them, help sustain them. And I think that was, that was a big difference. You know, that's mm -hmm. what Edible Ojai was about. It was, you know, you were, you were me, you know, when you sit down and you have a meal with someone or you have a conversation with someone, you understand them better. Um, and that's what Edible Ojai did. Edible Ojai was a conversation and introduced people to those who feed us. It's a beautiful illustration of that wonderful John Muir quote about if you try to take anything out of the world on its own, it's tied into everything else. Because I think at that time as well, we had, as you said, you know, we had come to this point in food production that we had such an efficient global food delivery system that we had lost touch with where, not only what the ingredients were, but where they came from and the embodied cost of that, not mm -hmm. only in the, the shipping and, and production of the food, but the cost to our communities, the cost to the soil and water and air in our communities, and the nutritional benefit of that food we were getting shipped from you know, if you're in New Jersey, ship from California, and if you're in California, ship from Mexico or wherever it is in the world. And that putting the face on the farmers around us and helping them to provide food to us directly was was really revolutionary. Absolutely. You know, Wendell Berry, beautiful writer and farmer, um, you know, he has a a famous quote that eating is an agricultural act, um, and we often forget that, and mm -hmm. that's what had happened by, you know, by that period, by the time we entered the aughts, you know, the 2000, yes, we were so used to having, you know, I know here in Jersey, we're famous for our Jersey tomatoes, but, you know, any time of year, you could have a, have a tomato, and we were so used to the ease of having the food that we wanted when we wanted it. Um, that we forgot that we were losing the flavors. Yeah. Um, that strawberry shipped into us from California tastes really nothing like a Jersey strawberry taste in you know June. Right. So we had lost all of that connection with our our farmers. The the understanding that flavor is so much an important part of food that we eat. Um, that food had become in some ways almost filler like I, I know a woman who um, has done some work with a with a grant here in New Jersey and you know so much of that is teaching children to learn to taste again that the feeling and probably perhaps part of the problem behind childhood obesity is that you know a lot of children unfortunately use food as filler come home at the end of the day and start eating a bag of chips where if you teach children to eat for taste and also teach children to grow something, you know, it'll be that, that you know, they'll, they'll eat better. 
they'll yeah. they'll eat higher quality food. So so I guess so back to the you know back to the starting point of edible communities. There had been so many you know obesity was on the rise. Um, there were you know dozens of weight loss books out there. There was a big emphasis on diet products, but you know America was getting more obese. You know so obviously less healthy. Further, further and further removed from our local food communities and what could be done about it. And, and Carolyn Tracy just very simply introduced, here's the people who grow our food. Here's, here are the faces of our food. Tracy's a wonderful writer and Carol's an incredible photographer so that their mix of skills too lent very well that way. As Edible grew up over the years, you know, there were these, not only the words, but the photos yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, the, the beauty of it all. Yeah. So we start with Edible Ojai and this 16-page one-color newsletter in 2002, and then we move to today, picking up on what you just said about the photographs. Everywhere I go, you can pretty much find an Edible Communities magazine. And Mm -hmm. they have this wonderful look and feel to them. There is this wonderful continuity between them. And yet there is this very clear difference of what each area is known for, is rich in, um, is identified with. And so you can tell the difference between, say, my local Edible Shasta Butte and Edible Monterey or Edible New York or there are so many. We're now at 100. Describe the growth of the movement and um, how it fits in with with other movements that have kind of grown up along with it. Right. So so with Edible Ojai in 2002, um, the publication, uh, you know, published four times a year. And it was and then in 2004, Subura magazine, um, which is a uh, a national publication did a small little, I think it was a two paragraph piece about edible Ojai and said, you know, we love this close up look at local food so much. We'd love to see it spring up in other parts of the country. Um, and as a result of that, Tracy and Carol started hearing from people who wanted to start edible Cape Cod, edible Chicago, edible East end. So it started growing from there. They put together a, you know, a relatively simple business model and, you know, a logo and and uh, some guidelines for publications. And the second one was Edible Cape Cod, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of beautiful in many ways that, you know, you go from one side of the country right. to the other. And, you know, Edible Cape Cod was launched in 2004 um, by Doug and Diane Langelin. And, you know, that, that started what then, you know, led to this to this grouping that now has yes almost a hundred we've we just signed it's, it's amazing that uh, edible uh, Southern Oregon um, which is due to start publishing this year um, was our 100th you know license yeah uh, but you're right um, Jennifer you're right when you when you say almost every part of the country you go and you see edible Marin or edible Chicago edible Austin and it's amazing to me that there is such a continuity, and I, I find that that these publishers have such a dedication. You know, these are people who are 
dedicated to the mission of celebrating their local food mm -hmm. communities, but also very dedicated to delivering, you know, exceptionally high quality content, um, long form writing about food, beautiful photography. You know, so I think in many ways the standard that Carolyn Tracy set for us way back now in 2002 is really, you know, really inspired people and driven everyone, you know, going forward to keep that standard. And it's, it's remarkable to me because um, everyone decides their own content. So Edible Indie will decide in all of her issues what she wants to write about, um, as does Edible Boston. But you do, if you're one area or the other, you have that consistency. And, uh, you know, they're almost all of them are printed on this on a matte paper stock. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we share a similar branding treatment. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Fifteen years ago, the birth of what are now known as the Edible Communities Publications were born with the seed of an idea and a newsletter connecting farmers to food lovers in Ojai, California. Today we're speaking with Nancy Painter, Executive Director of the Edible Communities Publications, to hear more about how the movement and locally based publications have grown up so nicely. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place. Edible Communities celebrates local food season by season, community by community. We're just back after a break to hear more from Nancy Painter, Executive Director of the Edible Communities Family of Publications. Welcome. What's, what amazes me is just that devotion to quality. Um, these are all people, all these publishers are all people that, yes, they're publishers and they're, they're business owners, they're each, you know, their own entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, but they really are people who want to make a difference. Many of them come out of a food background. There's been some that have, have worked as chefs or as food, you know, community organizers or activists in their own area. There's some that have actually you know, are, have farmed in their communities for a number of years. Others, others have publishing backgrounds, but, you know, across the board, if they were all here and, and on the line with us today, um, you know, there was, there's really an amazing, um, an amazing devotion to the mission, which is to celebrate, you know, local seasonal food. Yeah. You know, this is a group who very much believes that we can change the world through food. Yeah. Um, and the term, you know, the term uh, locavore, which came in at 2007, which is a person who, you know, endeavors to eat only locally produced food. In 2007, the New Oxford American Dictionary named locavore as its word of the year. Nice. And that was very interesting because, you know, that was almost a step by step. You realize that this is this is really becoming a big part of our culture now. Um, and and these magazines all showcase that they each have their own personality you know, you pick up edible alaska and it's you know oh actually edible alaska is a very interesting example because um mary smith she and her husband uh publish edible alaska they're also salmon fishers mm -hmm. so they're so they're so connected to that community and then through edible alaska they share that celebration you know with everyone I know here at at my local edible community, 
um, magazine, which is Edible Shasta Butte, and it was founded by Earl and Candace Bloor 10 years ago now. It is it's super hard work. They are out there every day, every season, finding people to to be the expression of this celebration, whether it is farmers or gardeners or cooks or growers or vintners and brewers, cheesemakers, that reconnecting of our food to our land, to the processes of the land in our areas is is so beautiful. And um, and it's really, really, really hard work. So God bless all of them for the willingness to take it on and hold that quality so high. Right. Um, Earl and Candace are two of the first people I met when I decided to be a part of Edible Communities. In addition to my role as executive director, I began publishing Edible Jersey in 2007 and also published Edible Philly. Uh, Earl and Candace were two of the first people I met, and they really do personify what you what you see across the board in terms of, uh, you know, again, these are people who really are devoted to the mission and want to make a difference, you know, want to leave the world a better place than, than how they found it, so to speak. Right. Um, and I'm just amazed that, you know, 15 years later, we look back on this organization and how it's grown. And, you know, you really have that sense that, you know, when I first met those two individuals back in early 2007, you know, that is, that type of person is still involved. That That is what these publishers are, are really like, you know, they, they need to run a successful business and the magazines are, for the most part, the magazines are sustained by advertising. Um, so they're all, they all have to be good business people, but there's on the editorial side, you know, there still is that commitment to mission. Mm-hmm. So you became the executive director in 2007 of the overarching edible communities media Describe how that interacts with the individual publications. Um, actually, my role with, as executive director of Edible Communities is a role I, be, I took on at the very early 2016. Um, prior to that, I had been a publisher. Um, with you know, I had launched Edible Jersey in 2007 and then Edible Philly in 2013. Um, and my husband still runs those titles. Um, but now in my role for ex- as executive director of the entire group of Edible Communities, it's a, you know, my role is here to support the, the individual titles, to help them on the revenue front through national and regional advertising, to sort of oversee and lift up our brand presence. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, different materials and logos were, were doing a national series, a national event right now um, that will be kicking off later this year called Good Spirits, which is a celebration of art, artisanal uh, spirits, distilled spirits. And we're doing that with six of our titles this year. And if it goes well, we'll expand that next year. So, so part of my role is to say, okay, here's where Edible Communities is now. Um, where can we be and how can we expand the mission through other venues such as events but also um, be more, uh, be sustainable as a company, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of assisting local publishers, whether it's training or how do you use your website and um, helping local publishers be more successful. And what do you see as the greatest successes over these last 15 years, Nancy? I think the greatest successes have been on the 
really on the education front um, in terms of, and if you don't mind me speaking to my own personal experience, um, in, in New Jersey, which is the nation's most densely populated state, uh, I've, had, I've run into people who will say, and these are residents of New Jersey, who will say, oh, are there, are there farms in New Jersey? <laughs> and of course, you know, we have nearly 10,000 farms. And, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, teaching, teaching people that, yes, the United States has many, many family independent farms, and they need to be supported, recognized and sustained. So um, for many reasons, you want to make sure you you know, your, your food security, you always want to make sure that your population has access to good quality food. In New Jersey, we also want to support our open spaces. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of years in Edible Jersey, I had a real estate developer turn to me and kind of sneeringly say, uh, well, you know, the last land grab is going on in New Jersey, meaning that, you know, the real estate developers were trying to buy up any preserve, you know, any open spaces. Um, and you don't want, you know, you don't want a community like that. You need open spaces for farmland, for recreation, for, mm-hmm. you know, we need to preserve these precious, you know, these precious spaces mm-hmm. for our own quality of life. Um, so I think edibles, edibles role in, in point in pointing people to the importance of sustaining, sustaining their local farmers. And, and that, that, I think we also very much helped the farmers market movement over the last 15 years, yeah. you know, in many communities and, and Cal, you know, there were California and many communities throughout the country. There's been wonderful farmers markets that have been going on for a number of years. But now, you know, across the country, the numbers have there's, you know, every state is home to so many farmers markets. And and, you know, we have um, farmers markets are a way that consumers can buy direct. You know, they can buy direct from from their local farmer. So, again, you're supporting that farmer. That farmer doesn't always have to go through a middle person to sell. I think the farmers market movement has been a wonderful a wonderful aspect of this. And I feel like that is true of a couple of different movements that are uh, kind of integrated into the edibles community publications. For instance, in the several that I am very familiar with in, in our area of Northern California, they are integrated with the farmers markets. They are integrated with CSA providers. They are integrated with the slow food movement group and the farm to fork movement group. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's this wonderful kind of web of information and resources and support. Right. And the farm to table movement, you know, at the restaurant level, Alice Waters, of course, in, mm-hmm. in California many years ago started the farm-to-table movement and the ingredients. And I think through through Edible, you know, we tend to tell the story of chefs who, who again, support their farmers and, and bring those ingredients onto, onto their tables and, and uh, work with farmers in, in deciding crops ahead of season. And, and that has been in many parts of the country – that was not the case for many years. So Edible Communities has, you know, pointed to those stories and I think inspired many other chefs 
and cooks and food artisans to get involved, you know, in those local ingredients. The, the, um, there's the added value aspect where even if I'm not, you know, cooking at home or cooking in my restaurant with local ingredients, um, we've had, you know, there's many artisans now who've started making ketchup with local, you know, locally grown tomatoes and, you know, bringing back these flavors. It's a lot mm -hmm. about, you know, it's a lot about the flavors that we lost. I remember one time a few years ago, I was at a farmer's market in lower Manhattan and near the Fulton fish, where the Fulton fish market used to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Kotchke farm from upstate New York was there and they were sampling this new ketchup. And this was only, maybe it was about five years ago. And I tasted the ketchup and to this day, I still can't put my finger on it, but it brought me back to something in my childhood. Um, and I grew up in upstate New York and I realized that whatever that flavor was, and it was a real flavor, you know, it was real tomatoes grown in upstate New York, that it was the flavors of my childhood. Yeah. And, you know, the ketchup over the years, the packaged ketchup have lost that. Um, so, so you're bringing, you know, you're bringing it back to those type of flavors and, and taste opportunities right. and you're allowing more people to enjoy that. So, so I think, I think that, you know, the edible movement has, I think the edible movement has done so much. We've, we've celebrated local farms and we're supporting, you know, local agriculture. We're, we're encouraging the restaurant, the farm to fork movement. Um, we've also encouraged that, that food artisan, the woman who makes blueberry jams using, using, you know, Jersey blueberries, the, the, um, there's, there's so many ways that we're supporting this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've become, some people over the years have described us as the voice of the local food movement, which I think is such an honor to be described that way. Uh, because, you know, you pick up an edible magazine and so many of our readers will say, oh, I read this cover to cover and this is the only magazine I keep. And, and they discover, they discover their community through our pages. Yeah. And that's a beautiful role to play uh, when you can help people learn you know, learn something and, and introduce them to this wonderful part of their community. Um, and over the past 15 years, um, we also had, you know, you, you had the, the fact that we had lost touch with our food, you know, for, for the various reasons we discussed, you know, many, many Americans had stopped gardening, had, had, uh, stopped cooking at home, um, you know, so I think edible has helped to bring people back to that. You know, I talked a few minutes ago about this amazing farmers market movement that has grown up, but I also think that the community garden movement mm -hmm. is a, is again another wonderful movement that you know, um, on vac I've seen vacant lots in in Detroit or in Philly where people you know communities have gone in and put it in gardens and together, you know, grown food. And obviously, there's there's wonderful aspects of this, um, as you know, the aspect of having fresh food from your garden, but also the community aspect. Yeah, I think these days people are just really, you know, seeking ways to reconnect with each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it's because of the, 
you know, the di digital world. It, it's an interesting time because on one hand, you have digital growth. Think of the digital growth since 2002, right? 2002 is right. even before Facebook. You know, so you have the world, you know, on one hand, you have a world that's becoming increasingly, you know, digital, digital driven and, you know, having friends and connecting through social media where the other, on the other hand, you have this beautiful edible movement where it's all about connecting, you know, really in person, learning about somebody, getting out, going to a farmer's market, um, go blueberry picking, um, participate in a community garden, sign up for a CSA. You know, it's very, you know, I wonder if in years, you know, years from now, if we'll look back and see, you know, what, what was that balance in our culture at that time right. that you have a very positive and, you know, good local food movement happening at the same time that you have a, a digital, you know, you're entering a digital world, which isn't going to stop, obviously, but, you know, maybe we needed a little counterbalancing. Exactly. Those are, and there are such powerful connections that are made um, in that real time in those, those real spaces. Right. And the, parts of, I think parts of the country too, and I know in your area, you know, Northern California, it may be a little, it may have been different because I think there's often, you, you probably better than a lot of parts of the country have maintained your relationship with farming communities. But, um, you know, I've, I have learned that, you know, in parts of the country, farming almost became, I remember this beautiful writer, Shannon Hayes, she's written a number of books. She uh, grew up on a farm in upstate New York, an unbelievable writer. But she, she remembers, um, I believe she might be in her early 40s now, but she says as a child, she remembers going to school, going to elementary school, and in the morning before she would head to school, she would scrub her arms because she, want, she didn't want to smell like anything to do with the farm because she was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she was embarrassed to be a farmer's kid. Um, and now, you know, fast forward, um, she is a farmer and a writer, um, but she said that when she regained the respect was at a farmer's market. When she went to a farmer's market at the age of, I think it was 16, and saw the customers interact with her mother and her aunt at, their far at the farmer's market, she saw the respect. Um, so, you know, those things... In, and it used to be, you know, back in the 60s or 70s, you know, farmers, you know, if you grew up on a farm, you were going to go to, hopefully you would go to college and you would get away from the farm. We don't want that. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And, you know, now we're seeing people, you know, young, young people in their 20s, 30s, guys, girls coming back to the family farms or starting up their own farm. Um, and that's a you know, that's a beautiful thing on many levels. There was a, a, a gelato maker um, in the Princeton area who who farmed herself and then actually then started up an ice cream, a gelato company that used all local ingredients. Um, and she said, this is how I can make a difference. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're speaking with Nancy Painter, executive director of the Edible Communities Publications We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place. 
Edible Communities celebrates local food season by season, community by community, with a network of now 100 independently owned, locally focused magazines and websites across North America. They're the largest media organization of independent publishers devoted to telling the stories and sustaining the efforts of the farmers, gardeners, chefs, food artisans, fishers, vintners, and home cooks who feed us. We're just back after a break to hear more from Nancy Painter, Executive Director of the Edible Communities Family of Publications. Welcome. You know, we're seeing that young, you know, 20-something, early 30s, that they're looking, you know, this is how they can make a difference in a world that can seem pretty crazy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people are making a difference through food. Yeah, through through food and, and through growing and through those connections. The... And it, it kind of is bringing me to this idea of, of the politics of these things. Mm-hmm. In an anniversary tribute write-up, um, Marion Nestle, a food politics leader, had a wonderful quote, which was, by making food choices that support regional farmers and producers, we vote with our forks for healthier and more sustainable lives for ourselves, our children, our communities, and our planet. Talk a little bit about this process of voting with our dollars and choices. How do our food choices really make a difference in this larger world, Nancy? Well, I think, number one, um, Marion Marian is a believer that food needs to be the part of every political and campaign discussion. And since I first heard her say that a few years ago, I've been amazed at how rarely it is part of a discussion. Yeah. You know, at any level, when you hear a political candidate speak, food food isn't discussed. Um, you know, food in elementary schools is not discussed. Access to healthy school, healthy breakfast for, for our school children. Um, it, it's just not part of the conversation. And the number one reason why is because we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've taken food for granted for decades now. Um, we think it's just always going to be there. It's always going to be, we'll always have access to good, healthy food to sustain us. And that's not really the case. Um, so Marion very much believes that food, you know, when you look at your local politics or regional politics, state politics, national politics, look at how food is being addressed. Um, then as an individual, there's other things you can do too, where if you, if you go into a restaurant and you see, um, and you see chicken on the menu or oysters on the menu, you can ask, you know, are those, you know, are, do those, are those Washington state oysters? You know, where do your oysters come from? Um, are they, uh, is your, is your produce local? You know, these tomatoes, do they come do they come from the local farms? Because right. by asking, by asking the questions, eventually, bit by bit, the the storekeeper or the restaurant, the chef, will need to buy local. You're you're forcing them to source more locally. Right, and you're sort um, you're just forcing them to be aware that it's an option, and right. that it's an option you as a consumer would like to see taken. Right. Right, you're helping to educate your local because sometimes, sometimes the stores themselves don't don't realize the local options that are there, right. um, or the chef, 
you know, you're, you're spreading the education. Mm -hmm. So, um, when, you know, when you go into a local grocery store and you have the option to buy, um, you know, buy a, a milk that's from a local dairy compared to one that's, you know, from a larger conglomerate, buy that local dairy because you're then supporting them. Yeah. So every every day we have so many choices that we can make to support, you know, to support the local food movement. Yeah. Um, and because that by the more, you know, the more obviously financial support by supporting your local farmers and dairies and growers and, and um, you know, food artisans, you're ensuring that they're still going to be here five to ten years from now. Yeah. Speaking of five to ten years to now, given the current world in which we live, politically, culturally, economically, environmentally, what are your hopes for edible communities in the next 15 years? Um, my, my hopes would be to continue to see the network grow. There are, there are parts of the country um, that do not yet have, have their own edible magazine. So I would like to see, see the network grow. Um, I would like to see edible, uh, continue to be an advocate, um, for quality, quality food. Uh, like you can, what might happen now. So, so, you know, I, I was talking not that long ago to someone and, you know, we were talking about the local food movement and, and she didn't realize that the world has changed quite a bit. Uh, she didn't realize that in, you know, 2002, there weren't farmers markets in mm -hmm. so many parts of the country or there. So, so now you could say, okay, most, you know, you walk in most grocery stores now and you do have the ability to see, you know, where your food comes from. And, but, but we have to stay vigilant. And I think that's what Marion Nessa was referring to. You know, we're, we're going to have to stay vigilant. Some of, these, some of these smaller artisanal brands we find are going to be bought up by bigger companies, which could be a good thing because that means they'll have more marketing dollars and, and more, you know, support on, you know, to expand. Um, and, but that, that said, as consumers, we have to make sure that, that there's a vigilance, that the quality stays um, and, you know, I, w I always think of, uh, I had a funny little occasion a couple of years ago where, um, my son, he's in his, he's in his early twenties now, but one morning we had made pancakes and he, uh, we hadn't, we usually have, you know, fresh maple syrup, but we didn't have it. And I picked up something quick in the grocery store, one of the quote national brands and the bottle was sitting on the table and he said, you know, mom, there's no, uh, there's no maple in this. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean there's no maple in that? And he said, look. And, you know, sure enough, I looked. And this was a brand I remember as a kid. Um, I looked, and it was called pancake syrup, and there was, there was not anything. There was no ingredient. There was nothing maple about it. But, you know, the flavor was a little bit maple-like. And as a consumer, that company was taking advantage of me. They were they were selling me a product that looked like maple syrup, that for all intents and purposes, you know, tasted like maple syrup, 
but it was not at all. And I think it was, you know, mostly the corn syrup. So we have to be vigilant on yeah. those type of, com- you know, we have to be vigilant that as these wonderful products go on and, and we support them and, and we help promote them, we don't want to happen what happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, right. when we got so far away from our food. You know, I think that, you know, we're bringing it back to a good place um, and we want to make sure that, you know, we're, we stay vigilant. Um, we also have to, you know, have to realize that it's not so, there, there, you know, the other factors, America got used to quantity as much as quality. Um, and we have to change that mentality, you know, change what's on our plate. As Michael Pollan said, you know, uh, just eat vegetables mostly. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't need as much food. We can we can pay a higher price for a better product and eat less. Yeah. We need to you know cook more at home. So so in so many ways, there's so many issues ahead. Um, you know, you know how and in a busy world, how do you best help people achieve this? You know, it's it's easier. You know, I know myself. It's easier said than done to to cook a full meal from scratch every night. Um, and in his latest book, Michael Pollan and, and Cooked suggested maybe we want to look at the concept of, you know, communal dining. That, you know, a na- how beautiful could it be if a neighborhood, you know, shared, you know, you cook tonight for the eight of us or, uh, you know, the ten of us and I cook my nights Tuesdays. And so there's many different, there's many different, you know, approaches for the years ahead. And I would like to see edible out there sharing those possibilities right. and those, you know, and those conversations. That story about your son, it both illustrates how far we've come because your son was sitting at a table looking at the ingredients on something he was about to eat. Right. And the kids, the kids are so observant. Right. They'll always keep us honest. Right. right. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I'm somebody who's very connected to the food right. world. So. But it's also an illustration of how much work we still have to do because that product is still available and recognizable as maple in our grocery right. stores. So it, it is both it, – it shows us kind of, you know, how far we've come and where we still have to go. So tell right. us – you're yeah. You're exactly right. It's yeah. still, you know, we do have very far to go to be vigilant and make sure that that there's honesty throughout every aspect of the food system. Yeah, and we need to demand it. It's it's up to us to do that. So we have a hundred now edible communities publications. Where can people find their local version? Um, the best thing to do would be. Uh, I would suggest that you go to ediblecommunities.com and, and visit our map to see the different titles. Um, you can also, all of the edibles also have their own websites. Uh, so if you're living in Santa Fe, if you go and type in ediblesantafe.com, that will bring you to that local site. Um, and the most of the site, most of the magazines, I, as I think you know, Jennifer, are distributed free of charge. Yes. Um, and most of these websites... Uh, have a list on their sites as to where to find a copy. Uh, so you can pick up, you know, you can pick up a copy, go to that, go to those websites, look, many of them have lists as to where to pick up a copy, or you can also subscribe. Um, the subscription rates vary, but most of our titles um, offer four issues a year for $28 a year. Um, and, and that way, you can be sure never to miss an issue. 
Um, and you so, support the publication just that much more than picking up yes. one of the free ones, which I, I think is important if you can to do that because um, it is nice to get it in the mailbox and to get it right on time and to know that you're supporting that network uh, of these edible communities and their hard work. Right, and and it would be it's so appreciated because these publications, as I said, they um, you know we're advertising supported, but we really do need the support of the community, and the community can support us through subscription, yeah, which is great. And um, uh, that most all of our websites do offer the ability to subscribe. Yeah. So if you you know are edible Louisville in the Louisville area and you want to subscribe, you'll find a place on their website where you can, you know, use a credit card and, and subscribe. Many, many people too find that they enjoy um, subscribing to others, you know, people who might spend part of their summer on Cape Cod, like to subscribe to Edible Cape Cod so you can, you know, right. uh, keep in touch with the area all, you know, and you can go online. The whole year. Yeah, if you're traveling, which I I do, you know, quite a bit throughout the year for family and and work, and you can look up in advance if there's one in the place that you're headed to, and read about restaurants and read about producers and farmers markets that you can visit, and it's a it's a wonderful resource. So, yeah, it says on the main community uh, edible communities website that this community will help you to cook eat and drink like a local and I'd like, <laughs> right. I'd like to add that it will also help you grow and garden like a local and I was very happy to see the home and garden tab on the main website and to have a selection of gardening and growing articles from the different publications across the country I thought that was that was a wonderful addition and um, I just so appreciate you being with us today, Nancy. It's been such a pleasure, and happy 15th birthday to the Edibles community. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate you know the opportunity to be with you today, and I just really have enjoyed the conversation. And the gardening aspect is very important to us. I believe that even if you just if you're in an apartment and you have a window and you can only grow a little bit of basil, like grow something, grow anything, I think is what Wendell Berry said, because it keeps you connected to the cycle of life. Yeah. Um, we'll be doing even more on the, you know, the edible gardening front in the in the year ahead, because it's all part of that. You know, you un you understand, you know, by by growing something yourself, you understand what goes into it and the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with oh, us today. Thank you. Nancy Painter is the executive director of the Edible Communities Media. She joined us today via Skype from her offices in Maplewood, New Jersey. Knowing where your food comes from is a powerful thing. Edible communities explore the issues impacting local food cultures and economies through a variety of outreach efforts. They advocate for healthy, nourishing food traditions. From Edible Boston to Edible San Francisco, Edible Ottawa to Edible Sarasota, Edible Indy to Edible Austin, Edible Communities celebrates food culture season by season, community by community. They believe that growing, buying, cooking, and eating food grown and made by local producers is the best way to keep our families, our communities, and the environment healthy and strong. 
The local food movement has many positive effects in our communities, but for me, in all of the areas I have lived and gardened, one of the most powerful of these effects is the strengthened fabric of the community. By bringing together the stories and general information about the local market gardeners and growers, the local food and spirit producers, the farmers markets locations, hours and seasons, the community supported agriculture box or basket providers. The edible community publications become profoundly useful directories for purchasers and priceless forms of exposure for smaller producers who may not have the staff, the time, the budget, or the skills for more traditional means of getting their names and their products out there. And the sense of place these publications provides in each of their areas is its own art form. In my local Edible Shasta Butte, published by Earl Bloor and Candace Byrne, each year a different farmer landholder is sought out to provide a seasonal view into the life and beauty of their particular place. From Scott River Ranch, a cattle ranch in the northern reaches of my region, to Redwood Organic Seeds, an organic seed producer in my region, these prose pieces each season over the years have provided me with visual images, insights, and perspectives that have deepened the way I see and value this place I call home. This kind of understanding of our own places seems powerfully positive indeed. I'll bet your local Edibles Communities publication does the same thing for your place. Find a copy and see for yourself. The place you live is an edible feast waiting for you. Happy 15th birthday, Edibles Community. Here's to many happy returns. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. If you enjoy cultivating place and value these conversations about gardens and natural history, please consider supporting the cause. Subscribe to Cultivating Place on iTunes or Stitcher. Give the podcast a rating and a review at iTunes, or most meaningfully, share it with others who value these stories too. And thank you for listening. For more information, including many photos from the Edible Communities publications around the country, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our communications coordinator is Casey Gardner. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.